Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Less than a mile south of Dunwich in Suffolk, on National Trust land that is given over to a nature reserve, there is a caravan park. These are privately owned, static caravans. More like cabins, really. If you're wondering if I'm standing here having flashbacks to the Devil's Reef trailer park in Providence, you'd be on the money. But this place is a lot more picturesque. I'm here to see the manager, and again, we've been here before. But the manager of this caravan park is a man called Ian Bartram. He used to be a cop, a detective, with the Suffolk Police. Ian was the lead detective investigating the disappearance of the Blake family in 2010. That was his last case before he retired. I've come to talk to him because I still can't shake the idea that Philip Gibson had Robert Blake's notebook with him when he went to the Blake house. Maybe it got picked up and thrown into an evidence box somewhere. Have you come up from London? I have, yes. Found it all right? I've been to Dunwich before, so... Ian lives on site. His wife died a few years back and he didn't do well on his own, so he took this job to be around people. This small cabin is neat and tidy. You get the sense of an ordered, organized mind at work. Once we'd settled, I asked him about the Blake family. Ah, yes. Not the best way to go out. You always want to close the last one, put a full stop on it all. They brought me back in in 2016 to consult when they found the bodies. Right, they were in the cellar of the old Marston house? Oh, that's right. Uh, Burned down in 1935 when the little Marston girl killed her whole family. The cellar was all that remained of it and that's where we found five bodies all stabbed to death with dressmaking scissors. No idea how they all got there. So it was Mr. and Mrs. Blake and their son and Philip Gibson? I don't believe we ever released that name. But that's not a no. And the fifth body? Unidentified. Officially and unofficially? <laughs> no, unofficially. There was a DNA match to a family in Norwich, but no one from that family was missing. So that didn't make any sense. But then there are a few things about those bodies that don't make sense. Such as? You're going to make me look foolish on your radio show. I'm, I'm just stating the facts as I know them. I understand. Uh, the forensics people, this is in 2016, did all their usual tests, trying to date those bodies, how long they'd been dead, level of decay, all that sort of thing. Right. They got a weird set of results the first time out, so we sent the test back, had them run everything again, twice, as it turned out, but the result never changed. 1935. I'm sorry, what? According to the test, the Blake family and Philip Gibson and the mystery fifth victim had all been dead since 1935, but they weren't even born in 1935. So they can hardly have been murdered then, and that's why the case got shelved. You can hardly present that in court, can you? I'm looking for a notebook. I think Philip Gibson had it on him at the Blake house when he disappeared. Oh, I never saw a notebook. It was a while back. Would you remember? If someone had taken it as evidence and put it in a box? Mm. The only thing that got bagged up alongside five sets of bones was a digital voice recorder we found beside the body of Philip Gibson. What was on it? No idea. No one could get it to play. According to the forensics test, the recorder had been in that cellar since 1935 too. A digital recorder, mind you, with more than 80 years' worth of metal decay... Where is it now? Gone. 
As I understand it, someone pilfered the evidence box. Seriously? I'd like to think it wouldn't have happened on my watch, but... Anyway, we never found any notebook. What's so special about it? It belonged to a man called Robert Blake, Jonathan Blake's grandfather. Oh, the journalist, yeah. <laughs> he, he was a bit of a local character. He'd known Philip Gibson. We think he gave Gibson the notebook. Oh, old Robert Blake. <laughs> Blimey. Died during the hurricane in 1987. That was quite a thing. Took down half of Rendlesham Forest. Was his death treated as suspicious? No, it wasn't. No heart attack, they reckoned. Found him in the lane outside the little cottage he had down near Orford. Outside, mind, during a hurricane. Maybe he'd been trying to get inside? No, he was facing the wrong way and there were footprints in the mud behind him. Space like he'd been running away from the house. Running from what? Well, then I don't know. I've seen plenty of heart attack victims in my time. Sometimes they look perfectly calm, like they never knew what hit them. Sometimes they look like they were in pain. I don't know what Robert Blake was running away from that night, but I've never seen a face like that. Almost pure bloody terror, that was. I just want the truth, Sir Godfrey. For once, I would just like to know... Truth, Mr. Blake? And what exactly is that? What is the truth, as you perceive it? I want to know what happened to Edwin Lillybridge. Well, that's a bit before my time, isn't it? I don't even know if I was a year old. You know what happened? Perhaps I dispatched your Mr. Lillybridge from my cradle. Perhaps I murdered him with the power of my infant mind. It was Gladwin, wasn't it? Now, now, Mr. Blake. I'm sure you know better than to throw around baseless accusations. I know Gladwin was involved. I know this all links into the Church of Starry Wisdom. The Church of what? I'm afraid you have me at a disadvantage. The Church is still going. I know that McCann and Daly are involved. Those are not names I would be bandying about if I were you. Reputations such as theirs. What is the haunter of the dark? Be very careful, Mr. Blake. You've made it your business to upset some people in very high places. Thus far, they have satisfied themselves with ensuring that the nonsense you write does not make it to anyone's breakfast table. But as a friend, I suggest you give all this up now before the true consequences of the course you are attempting to navigate become only too apparent. Tell me what happened to Lillybridge! So what do you make of that? I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Not sure it's going to have the British establishment quaking in its booze. Hmm. What you just heard was the recording that Diane Netley had given me. Robert Blake had left it in her care, believing it to somehow be the smoking gun that would bring down the British elite. When I finally made it back to the studio with the tape, after what had been an exceedingly strange day, Eleanor Peck was waiting for me. So this Diane Netley woman thinks that Wilberforce Ashton Heath can cure her husband's multiple sclerosis? I think so, yeah. Well, she's not the full ticket, is she? The circus has lost its ringmaster. Also, there's no consistency. If you think Wilberforce asshole Bellend is an all-powerful <laughs> wizard, I mean, seriously, that bloke? Do we really think someone who can command cosmic forces is going to ponce about with that hair, spouting cod Latin and modelling suits from the early 80s? <laughs> anyway, the, the point is, if you do buy this Fayetonian brown shirt as an avatar of Azathoth or whatever, does blackmailing the bloke seem like a sensible move? No, probably not. But I'm not sure that Diane is thinking about this from every angle. So what about this other woman? The other woman that Eleanor was referring to was someone else I had met that day. I left Diane Netley's house in Sybil Headingham 
and headed back up the main road to where I parked the car. At the corner of an old Tudor house, there was a red telephone box. As I walked past, the phone started ringing. There was no one else around. The whole village seemed deserted. So I turned my recorder on. Hello? Mr. Haywood. Who is this? You're not supposed to be here. Where's here? Anywhere. Are you being followed? No, I don't think so. Who, who is this? Get in your car, drive along Rectory Road until you see St. Peter's Church on your right and pull up there. No, wait, I, I'm not... Hello? Curiosity obviously got the better of me. The church was only a few minutes' drive from where I had parked. As I approached, I couldn't see anyone around. I slowed down and pulled up on the grass verge across the road. I didn't know what was going on, but there was no one there. I was about to leave again when... Wait. Drive. Uh, All right, hold on a second, because, because I'm not sure... It's perfectly possible to live your whole life in Britain without seeing a handgun in the flesh. That would not be my life, however. Because the woman who had just got into my car had opened her coat and shown me that she had one strapped to her side. Are you recording this? Yes, yes I am. No, you are She directed me along a series of narrow country lanes... Even by the standards of rural England, we were clearly going the back way to our destination. Once I got over the initial shock of being abducted at gunpoint in my own car, I got up the courage to ask her some questions. She told me her name was Victoria Ness, but that she wouldn't be saying any more until we got to where we were going. I'd place her somewhere in her late 40s, early 50s. Lean, healthy looking. She wasn't wearing a wedding ring, but there was a pale band of skin around her finger where one used to be. Despite the clandestine nature of this encounter, I can reveal where we ended up, because Victoria will be long gone from there by the time you're listening to this. She directed me to a village about 30 minutes from Sybil Headingham. It was home to a large private school. The school dates back to the 1500s, but has been extended and modernised quite a bit since then. She led me into a large Victorian building and along a long stone corridor lined with classrooms. It was half-term, there was no one around. She led me into a classroom with a high ceiling, walls covered in maps and information about geography. The floor was wooden and there were rows of desks. A series of large windows along one side looked out onto immaculate playing fields. It was only once we had settled in there that she signalled that I could begin recording again. Okay, um, I'm recording, but I don't really know what this to ask you. This is an interview. Uh, what, I'm what letting it? you record this because you're going to need to remember what I tell you. And I don't have the patience to wait for you to write it all down. So this is off the record? Oh, I don't care. By the time you broadcast this, I'll be long gone. So do you work here at the school? I'm a geography teacher. I joined a year ago. A geography teacher with a gun? Well, I find it helps the kids pay attention. Oh, that's a joke. Right, good. My job here is a cover... I used to work with Parker. At the Department of Works? And when they shut it down, a number of us had to disappear very quickly. We're being hunted, Mr Hayward. Who by? By the same people you're looking into, the Church of Starry Wisdom. They came out of nowhere. They certainly weren't on our radar. We took that whole business with Obed Marsh disappearing as a win. Yeah, I didn't. Do you remember anything? Not a thing. Hmm. That's not uncommon. It might start to come back. Oh, wait, are you saying it's happened before? Well, everything's happened before. 
Look, if you start to remember anything, you should get some help. What does that mean? It means if you let yourself remember too much without the aid of a therapist and a good amount of medication, you'll probably wind up insane. So, where was I? I've no idea. As I say, at the point that people start to remember, they tend to stop making any sense. I'm left-handed now. Yeah, well, don't bother buying new scissors. It probably won't last. So, why have you brought me here? Because, ridiculous though this may seem, you and Kennedy Fisher are part of the last line of defence. The department was smashed to pieces... By Wilberforce Ashton. ...among others, but yes, he was the one who pulled the trigger. And we are scattered to the four winds now. Fair game for the starry wisdom people. And you really didn't see them coming? Well, think of this as our version of 9-11. We were looking in the wrong direction. We barely knew this organisation existed. We certainly didn't know how old it was or how powerful it had become. So how old is it? Well, old. Because this is all part of Obed Marsh's thing, so you can probably track it back in its various guises for several thousand years. But this iteration, the Church of Starry Wisdom, dates from Melusine in 1914. They brought something through. Yeah, the curse of the 20th century. Put into the body of someone who had been bred to carry it. A person? Who? Well, we don't know. As I say, we're playing catch-up here and we don't have the resources that we used to. From what we understand, the vessel is someone born on January the 1st, 1900, and who would have died on December the 31st, 1999. There can't be that many of them. No record, no. But this person may well not appear on any records, or may have disappeared from them. And then what? We don't know. It connects to something the Starry Wisdom people refer to as the haunter of the dark, that the vessel is able to communicate with. It's all murky, wound up in fascist notions of white supremacy and some kind of mythical spirit of ancient Albion. As your friend Dr Peck would say, it's all bollocks. Because it all comes back to Nalithotep. It does. But I think starry wisdom people knew that. I don't think these people are being duped into thinking they're going to achieve great power or some kind of paradise on earth. This is their version of Judgment Day. I... I think they're zealots who actively want to destroy everything. So how do we stop them? Well, we need Robert Blake's notebook. He was all over Starry Wisdom while the rest of us were looking the other way. We can't find the notebook. Oh, Philip Gibson had it when he died. It's in the Blake house. Uh, No, Kennedy's looked there. (laughs) She was looking in the right place, but at the wrong time. Have you checked your voicemail? I had seen that I had a voicemail from Kennedy that she must have left while I was talking to Diane Netley. I hadn't had a chance to listen to it yet. Somehow... Victoria Ness had. The forensics tests determined that Gibson and the Blake family were murdered in 1935. But that's not possible. Oh, it's perfectly possible, if it's a breach. A what? Oh, it doesn't matter. Marcus Byron is on his way to Suffolk. He and Kennedy are going back to the Blake house. Uh, Well, I should probably go... No, no, you shouldn't. Someone in your condition should not be anywhere near a breach. Get the notebook, guard it with your life, I'll be in touch. Okay. well, she seems just as crazy as the rest of them. Did you speak to Kennedy? Her phone's going to voicemail. Oh, Christ. Here we go again. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.